on uh, page 1249 of the Small Church Bibles, and we're starting reading at verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city wall were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great city, the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Good morning, everyone. Oh, a little bit loud. There we go. Is that better? We're better there. Get rid of all my stuff. Okay, let's pray, shall we, as we come to uh, have a look at that passage uh, that Ruth kindly read for us 
a few minutes ago. Let's bow our heads and pray and seek the Lord's help to understand it and to live it out. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the new heavens and the new earth that we've been thinking about last week that we get a chance to dwell on again now. And Father, we pray that as we come to your word, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, give us humble hearts to sit under your word, to learn from it, and to live it out uh, in the coming days and weeks and months and years, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to begin this morning by playing a brief uh, word association game. Okay, don't worry, it's nothing too cringy. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to share your answers with anyone else or anything like that, okay? Uh, But it's going to work like this. I'm going to give you a word, uh, and then what I want you to do is, in your mind, just make a note of the first three associated words that come to mind for you. Okay, what are the first three words that come to mind for you when I uh, say this word? So uh, let me give you an example. Uh, If I was to give you uh, the word um, chocolate, you might think of the words milk, Uh, hot and wrapper, maybe, okay? Or if I was to give you the word dog, uh, you might think of the words bark, uh, fetch, and slobber, or something, okay? So those are, are, tells you what I think of dogs, doesn't it? Um, Okay, so so here we go. I'm going to give you a word, and I gave you a few seconds to think about it. What are the three words that first spring to mind when you think about it? The word is, perhaps unsurprisingly, heaven. Heaven. I'm going to give you a few seconds just to think about that. Okay, that's probably long enough. Hopefully that was enough time to think of three words. Okay, here's the thing. The words that you think of in association with this concept of heaven will, will say a lot, won't they, about what your view of that place is. The first things that come to mind when you think of that will say something about what you think about heaven. Now, I reckon if we were to do that exercise, if we were to go now and do that exercise in uh, Harpenden Town Centre, uh, I wonder what sorts of things people would say. I wonder what sorts of things would come to people's minds as they think about heaven. Here's what I reckon. Here are the three things that I think are most likely to come to people's minds. Harps, clouds, and halos. Harps, clouds, and halos. Those are, those are three of the things that are in the forefront of the popular imagination, aren't they, when we think about heaven. And I've got to be honest, I don't know about you, that doesn't exactly thrill me to think about. No offense to any harpists in the room, okay, but harps, clouds, and halos, they're not filling me with excitement when I look forward and I think about heaven. So the question is, Is that the best we've got? Is that really what it's all about, heaven? Harps, clouds, and halos, or can we do better than that? Well, uh, we are, if that's a question you've got, that you're in the right place this morning. We're uh, at the second in a series of three, a mini-series in John's Gospel, uh, not John's Gospel, sorry, Revelation, which was written by John, the author of John's Gospel. Uh, And we've called this mini-series The Shape of Things to Come. Uh, And we've called it that because we're looking at... um, at the end of the the book of Revelation, uh, where John has a vision of heaven, a vision of what is to come, the shape of things to come, the new heavens, the new earth, the new creation. Uh, And we asked the question last week, uh, is it really worth following Jesus? Is it really worth following Jesus? And I hope if you were here last week, you went away with a resounding yes in your heart because of where it is that we're following Jesus to. 
we're following him to the new creation, a place of unspeakable joy in the presence of our creator. Uh, but this week, we're going to be thinking about the new Jerusalem. And, uh, and you may have uh, remembered um, when uh, Gareth was reading from the passage we looked at last week, uh, that one of the key themes in those opening verses of, of chapter 21 of Revelation is this image of uh, a, a city bride, the, the heavenly Jerusalem, this city coming down out of heaven, uh, dressed as a bride. It's a weird image, isn't it? Uh, but we didn't spend much time thinking about it and unpacking it last week. This week, uh, John is going to kind of unpack that image more. And he's going to do it in the classic style of this type of literature, this apocalyptic literature. He's going to kind of layer image upon image, picture upon picture, building up this slightly weird and confusing uh, image of this heavenly city, this bride of the Lamb, the bride of Jesus. Uh, And what we're going to do is just spend a little bit of time today unpacking that, thinking, what does this tell us about heaven? What does this tell us about the new Jerusalem? Uh, Last week, we did that by looking at four Ds. Uh, This week, we're going to do it by looking at four Gs. Uh, I I was chatting with David Mack earlier in the week. He suggested we should go for five Gs because 5G is better than 4G. Uh, But I'm sorry, David, I couldn't get another G out of the passage, so we're just going to have to make do with the four. Okay, right, uh, where are we going to go then? First G, Uh, the new Jerusalem is guarded. The new Jerusalem is guarded. Uh, Why do I say that? Well, first of all, uh, it is a city. It is a city. Uh, Now, in the ancient world, uh, a city wasn't defined by whether or not it had a cathedral uh, or 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 what its population was or anything like that or how many uh, branches of Starbucks it had. Okay, A city was defined in the ancient world by a wall and and a gate. Okay, walls and gates are what defined cities in the ancient world. If you look down at verse 12, you'll see that's exactly what we have. Uh, The city, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And what a city and a wall it is. If we uh, look down at verse 16, we'll see that it is 12, the the city itself is 12,000 stadia. Uh, square, like long and deep, and also high. Uh, now, 12,000 stadia doesn't mean much to me. Uh, even if you look in your footnotes, 2,200 kilometers, that doesn't mean very much to me as well. So I did a bit of Googling. Uh, that is about the distance from here in Harpenden to uh, Thessalonica in Greece, uh, or uh, a little bit further um, uh, than... This is a bit longer than the distance to Casablanca in Morocco, I think. Um, If you go a little bit further still, you might get to Moscow. Okay, So this is the kind of size, this is the kind of scale that we're dealing with here. It's absolutely massive. Uh, And the wall itself is absolutely massive. Uh, John says it's 144 cubits thick. Uh, It might be high. It's probably both. Um, What is that? Well, that's about the height of Tower Bridge in London. Okay, so this wall is absolutely massive. Now, why? Why this massive city with this massive wall around it? Well, that is a picture of safety. It is a picture of security. It is a picture of the fact that the new Jerusalem, the heaven, is a guarded place, a safe place. 
And there are other things in here that illustrate that as well. We've got the 12 angels guarding the 12 gates. Uh, That might not sound particularly impressive to you if your view of angels is based on uh, chubby babies with wings in the Sistine Chapel. But but that is not what we have in the scriptures. In the Bible, angels are these immensely powerful spiritual beings. And here they are, guarding the way in and out of this city. Uh, Strangely... We also get this image in uh, verse 25, where if you look down, it says that on no day will its gates ever be shut. And you might think, well, hang on a minute. What's the point of having this great big wall if the gates are open the whole time? But again, this is apocalyptic literature. We've got the same idea come at from different angles. And this, the point here is you don't need to shut the gates. There's no need to shut the gates because there is no danger. There is nothing that's going to assail this city. He goes on to say there will be no night there, night being the time where if you're going to attack a a city, you do it under the cover of darkness, but there'll be no night. He says in verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. So when we take all of these things together, we have a picture of a a city, a, a, a heaven, which is utterly safe, utterly secure, utterly guarded for the people of God for all eternity. And I don't know about you, friends, but that is, I find that good news. Don't you find that good news? That heaven is going to be, yes, thank you, heaven is going to be an immensely safe place, safer than anywhere we could ever imagine. Uh, it's been a bit weird here in the UK for the last few hundred years. Uh, For the last few hundred years, this has actually been a place where being a Christian comes with something of a degree of prestige to it. Well, not so much anymore. That is an odd thing. That is an unusual thing. And if you speak to many of our young people, they will tell you if they're trying to follow Jesus at school, school does not always feel like a safe place. School can be a very hard place to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been experiencing that at work. Uh, You've been finding, you've been surprised by how work has become a less safe place to be a follower of Jesus, a less easy place over time to follow him. But friends, that is normal. That is what we would expect from what the scriptures tell us. We saw last week, didn't we, that there is a cost to following Jesus. But in the new heavens, in the new earth, it will be utterly safe for all of eternity. What a wonderful thing that is. And and that is a great encouragement to us, but I think it should also be a challenge to us now as we move from thinking about this first circle and our relationship with the Lord to thinking about our church community. We want to be asking, is our church an outpost of heaven, a foretaste of heaven in this way? Is our church a safe place for us to come and to be as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it a safe place for others to come into? Something for us to think about. So that's the first uh, G that we see, guarded. The New Jerusalem is guarded. Uh, The second one is this. The New Jerusalem is global. The New Jerusalem is global. Why do I say that? Well, uh, first of all, because of the names that are engraved on the wall. Uh, If you look at verse 12, uh, it had a great high wall with 12 gates uh, and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, what is that all about? Well, uh, if you are familiar with the Old Testament part of the Bible, you will know that the 12 tribes of Israel is kind of shorthand for the whole uh, people of God, the whole Old Covenant faithful people of God. 
And what John is trying to say here, what what he sees in this vision, is that in the new heaven, you will have the old covenant, faithful people of God. They will be there in the new Jerusalem. But they're not the only ones who are going to be there. Because look down uh, at verse, is it verse 16? Uh, Let's have a look. Verse 16, the city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. Uh, He, that is the angel with the measuring rod, uh, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and it was as wide as it was long. And I'm not sure that was the verse I was after. What was I looking for? Hang on. No, verse 14. There we go. That's better. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. That's what I was after. Okay? The 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, what is that about? Well, it is no coincidence, friends, that when Jesus calls together his disciples to be the the nucleus of a new community of God's people, the foundation of a new covenant in his blood, that he chooses 12 people. Okay, 12, because it is symbolic of the whole people of God. And yet this isn't a, a people of God confined to ethnic Jews. It isn't confined to Israel. No, this is a a foundational message. The apostolic message is a message that will go out throughout the nations to the ends of the earth. And so here we have an image of the fact that all of those people who respond in repentance and faith to the message of the gospel from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be brought into the new Jerusalem. It's global. Uh, But perhaps the clearest picture of this we have in verse 24 and 26 the nations will walk by the light of this city and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And again, in verse 26, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. All of these things are pictures, aren't they? Of a global heaven, a heaven that encompasses people from the world over, of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And again, what what glorious news that is. In a world that is uh, divided along ethnic and racial lines. When frankly, often churches are divided along ethnic and racial lines. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that, that no one will be excluded from the New Jerusalem because of their ethnicity or their race? It will be a glorious, multicultural, multi ethnic place where there will be complete unity between God's people forever. It will be a global, at heaven. What a wonderful thing that is for us to think about. And again, it is a challenge to us, isn't it, as a church? Is that what is going to mark out our church? Are we going to be a people who are going to refuse to be divided along lines of ethnicity? I hope we are. Uh, it's a, the New Jerusalem is guarded. The New Jerusalem is global. Thirdly, the New Jerusalem is God's dwelling. Uh, now, we saw this last week in verse 3. That, that was the interpretation that Uh, John is given straight away of uh, what is happening in this new heavens and new earth. It is uh, God's dwelling place. Uh, And we see it reinforced here, although not necessarily immediately, obviously. Um, We see it here because this new city that, that John sees is a temple. It is a temple. Why do I say that? Well, uh, first of all, because of its shape. Uh, It's a bit weird, isn't it, that cube shape? Yeah, this city that's as wide as it is, deep as it is tall. That's very odd. What is that about? Well, that is symbolic of uh, the Holy of Holies, the most holy place right at the center of the temple. That was a cube as well, the place where God uh, most uh, 
most profoundly dwells in the midst of his people. So we see that this new Jerusalem is a temple because of the the shape. Uh, We see it because of the stuff that it's made of. Uh, Did you notice how the the images in uh, in verses 18 through to 21, the whole place is just dripping with gold and jewels and pearls and all of that kind of stuff? Well, well, that is because uh, if we look back to um, 1 Kings chapter 6 and 7, we see that Solomon's temple was a place that was just, there's gold everywhere. Well, this is like Solomon's temple on steroids, the new Jerusalem, gold everywhere. Uh, but also we see this, and I, I, I love it. I'm a bit of a Bible nerd, so just bear with me for a second, but I do love this. We see this in verses 19 and 20 in the stones of the foundation, okay? What do we have? We have this foundation in a square around this golden city, and there's these 12 different types of stones. Well, if you know uh, your Old Testament well, you'll know that the high priest, when he goes in to minister in the presence of God in the most holy place, he wears what? He wears a square of gold with 12 precious stones on it, each one representing one of the tribes of God's people. And here we have that, this image, this temple image, this priestly image. And what is the temple? It is the place where God dwells with his people. Uh, You might have been slightly thrown by me saying it's a temple if you've read uh, verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city. Why? Well, because there was no physical temple. There's no need to be one. The Lord God Almighty is the temple. The Lamb is the temple. The whole new Jerusalem, the whole new creation will be the place where God dwells with his people. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that will be. And when we combine these three things, the fact that the New Jerusalem is guarded, the fact that it is global, the fact that it is God's dwelling, we, we end up with, in summary, our, our fourth G. The New Jerusalem is glorious. It is utterly glorious. Look at verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. What a wonderful picture that is. The sun will be superfluous because of the glory of God that will shine in the new Jerusalem. We have a similar image in verse 11. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And then that that gets picked up later as again we're talking about all this beautiful gold and jewels and pearls and all these opulent, wonderful uh, things. The bride is rocking some serious bling, isn't she, <laughs> in the New Jerusalem? But here's the thing, here's the thing that has blown my mind this week as I've been thinking about this. Notice, it is the city, it is the bride that shines with the glory of God. And what is that city? What is that bride? Yes, it's a place, but it's also a people. It's us. It's the church. In the new Jerusalem, we will shine with the glory of God. What an incredible thought. What does that mean? I think this is what Jesus is getting at in one of my favorite verses uh, in the book of Matthew. Um, And in uh, chapter 13, verse 43, don't worry about turning to it. Jesus is talking about the end times and he says, that in that day, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. We will shine 
with the glory of God. But here's the thing to, I want to challenge us uh, with, friends, as we begin to close, and it's this. To some degree, to some degree, the glory with which we will shine then will depend on what we do now. To some degree, the glory with which we shine then will depend on what we do now. Now, that might be ringing all sorts of alarm bells for some of you at the moment, so let me explain what I mean by that. I am not saying uh, we will only be there because of our good works, okay? If we are there in the New Jerusalem, it is utterly because of the grace of God saving us and renewing us, okay? That is absolutely... So hear that, right? But, But I do think there is ground for suggesting that the, the, to some degree, the glory with which we shine then will depend on what we do now. Let me, let me show you why I think that. Uh, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 21, let me just read to you verse 2 again. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, if that's all we had, we'd say, oh, yes, you know, that beautifully dressed in the righteousness of Christ, clothed in him, and we go, yes, yes, that, yeah, and of course that is true. But friends, this is not the first time that John has used this image of the bride, clothed, and beautifully clothed. If you just flick back to chapter 19 and read from verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Alleluia, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Why? For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And what is this? What is this glorious fine linen that she's wearing with which she shines? Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Isn't that interesting? We will shine with the reflected glory of the good things that we have done in God's name in this life. It's interesting, isn't it? We make a lot, rightly, of the fact that we will be in heaven by the grace of God, and it is right we do that. But friends, we mustn't then think that the things we do in this life are of no consequence and don't matter at all. No, John is telling us that we will shine with the reflected glory of God, his glory shining through the things that he has done through us in this life. Isn't that a wonderful thing? to think about. And so the, the challenge that I want to leave you with uh, today is this. Will you sacrifice your own glory now to better reflect God's glory in heaven? Will you sacrifice your own glory now to better reflect God's glory in heaven? You see, it is so tempting, isn't it, to live for glory in this life. It is so tempting to crave the praise of our friends or our teachers or our parents. It's so tempting to crave the the praise of our peers and our work colleagues and to live for that as if that's the glory that we most need. It's it's tempting to seek the glory that comes with a, a bigger salary, a bigger bonus, a better promotion, a better car, a bigger house, all of those things. 
It's so tempting to crave the glory that comes from others finding us funny or smart or physically attractive or proficient at our jobs and our hobbies and things like that. But friends, we saw last week, didn't we? These things are passing away. They're passing away. Our greatest need is our Heavenly Father's glory and to reflect that glory in the world as we live for him. Friends, the glory of the new Jerusalem will never pass away. And the amazing thing is that the things that we invest in now can shine with his glory for eternity. So will we seek his glory by by humbly obeying him? Will we seek his glory by seeking to do good to others rather than to ourselves? Will we seek his glory by seeking to make his name great rather than make our own names great? Jesus exchanged, didn't he, a crown of heavenly glory for a crown of thorns to make us glorious for all eternity. Jesus exchanged the safety of heaven for a Roman cross to make us safe for all eternity in a global community of his people. Are we willing to sacrifice our glory now to better reflect his glory in heaven? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the new Jerusalem there is so much to look forward to, uh, more than harps and clouds and halos. Thank you that it is a guarded place, a place where your people will know utter safety and peace and security for all eternity. Thank you that it is a global place where people of every tribe, tongue and nation will gather in unity, worshipping around the throne of the Lamb. We thank you that it is your dwelling. And that as we saw last week, that means it is a place of utter peace and love and joy. And we thank you that it is a glorious place where we will shine with the glory of God. And Lord, as we reflect on Uh, what that means, and the fact that at least in part that is to do with the good works that we do in this life in your name. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be living not for our own glory in this world, but to be living for your glory in all of eternity. And Lord, we pray that you would help us in our church here at Christ Church to be an outpost, a foretaste of that heavenly glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.